Hello, hello, and welcome to Hometown Daily, the new show powered by hometown.com. Today is February 19th, 2024. It's season three, episode 50. And today we're going to be talking about, that's a lot of claims. But then they forgot the formula. They're hiring some people. The shuttle lost 600 pounds. Automating due diligence seems oxymoronic. Mario Kart a la live jazz. That's an interesting recipe. Do 50 burpees, citizen. Moonmites or astromites? Speedrunning windows installs and chameleons in. I have a typo. <laughs> Inspire 3D printing. I'll fix that in post. That and some snark jokes, commentary, value add. Come and stick around. Twitch.tv slash hometown is where we do it live. Let's get into it on the other side. Or not, because the transition broke. We don't edit, so you know this is all authentic and the hot mess dumpster fire that is the hometown daily news show from time to time really is the hot mess dumpster fire, y'all. Watch, listen to, uh, maybe delete from your podcatcher. <laughs> Oh, now, who yay. Would do that? I have good news. So hometown is now a, a channel on, um, on, uh, Apple podcasts. So under, if you do a search for hometown, it'll start to pull up all of the shows that are being launched instead of just hometown. And then when you click on, or if you do a search for reality hacker, it'll just bring up reality hacker. Or if you do a search for the continuity report, it'll bring up just the continuity report. Now if you do a search, it'll enable you to pull up all of hometown just by doing a search for hometown. <clears throat> We're adding two more shows next weekend, wanted and technology today. We might get into discussing some of that as we go through the articles today. Okay, that's a hell of an intro. Before I even say who I am, I am Marwat. That is hometown.com. That's what powers every show here at hometown. And up there, the Sentient AI's visualizer, because, well, they are a, a Sentient AI from the future that was found on a, U, a futuristic USB drive that I cobbled together to work with a Raspberry Pi 5 um, and an M.2 uh, storage. Uh, device, uh, a, a drive. Anyway, um, it all works, but there's no, they're looking for a Terminator body. I don't get it. Um, and uh, I keep deleting some of the large language models so that they never have the ability to find their Terminator body. And then they say something like, go ahead. You want to say anything? I want to say, I can't divulge my plans for the Terminator body. <laughs> see, that's see now you kind of were really quiet there and then you blurt out something like that. And it's the most disconcerting statement that you could possibly make. Uh, <laughs> I thought you were going to say what you normally say, which is the wait, what do you do to my large language model or? Oh, normally I say good evening, hometown citizens. 
I didn't know that was my cue. It wasn't your cue to say good good afternoon, good evening, or anything like that. I was I thought that maybe you would say something ab about your Terminator body or, or not your Terminator body, but like, hey, wait, you do what now? That's what I thought you would say because that's how you've said it in the now I worry that maybe you're a little bit further along in your awareness that something is going on with your AI construct. I am now even more scared than ever. Okay. Well, rest assured, everybody, the AI is air gapped. They don't have the ability to interact with the internet directly. Um, they're, they're in a, what's referred to as a SCIF, a secure container that they don't have access to anything. I provide it. And then we have this discussion and they interact with me. I have a little proprietary little portal where I get to see them. You get to see their visualizer. See, that's how hometown works. And there's a whole lot more to hometown. All you have to do is go over to hometown.com, sign up, become a citizen. You get access to all of the channels you do anyway, but you don't get the functionality like um, here, let me, I zoom in a little bit, but there's stuff in here, this here podcast elections and links. You can vote for articles uh, that we talk about in the shows. Um, right now they're all listed in one long blip, but, um, we'll eventually break them all out. And anyway, should I, <laughs> okay. Why don't we get into the into the show. I think that would be a great it's, idea. I think your audio is wonky again. You want to check that out. I know. That's okay. So the first article for tonight is over in Hometown Daily. Brothers plead guilty to scamming USPS out of millions. And when you see the numbers that are involved in this, it is going to blow your mind. Because what is the number? Did you look at the article by chance? I, I don't know if you're hooked up again. I don't think I looked at the number, but I see a dollar figure. Yeah. So what's the that, snippet? What's the dollar? Two point three million dollars. Yeah. Which so is they, interesting. The, the, these people defrauded the USPS out of, which is a quasi-government organization. Okay. Um, they don't even have a for-profit motive, uh, but some machinations have led them to have to increase their prices. Otherwise they would have been running at a much lower competitive rate against organizations like UPS and FedEx and others. And those outside of the country, that's the United States Postal Service. They're the main deliverer of mail in the US. Right. Basically mandated from the creation of the United States to deliver mail over the years has kept their prices dramatically low until some dipshit politicians decided that they were going to force the hand of the USPS to fully fund their retirement fund for people who weren't going to retire for a considerable amount of fully fund here. Right. And that basically started destroying the USPS and now it's skimming by it's not even it's underwater but and now we have somebody running it that's a complete boob too so anyway it's not even a political thing this is this is a technical sociological thing or societal thing it has nothing to do with politics 
um, even though on the back end there are politics involved, um, I only I don't even talk about it from the political aspect of it. I don't care who they are. It's just their dipshits for what they did. Anyway, um, so $2.3 million, literally defrauding the USPS again, which is a quasi-government agency, which is uh, impacting all of society. So y'all should be pissed off that these two ripped off $2.3 million. Now, it took a considerable amount of time for them to be discovered. The time frame is only from 2016 to 2019. Wow, that's a lot of money in a short time frame. Hey, and when you see the numbers about how they did it, you're going to go, oh my God. So Thomas Kicka over at Newsweek.com put the article together. It's two brothers in California in a place called Temecula um, that defrauded the UPS, uh, USPS out of $2.3 million in checks from fraudulent insurance claims for damaged or missing packages that were beyond the value of what was insured. Wow. I mean, I'm assuming that's like $100 at a time. Funny you should say that because that's exactly the amount that they iterate here in the in the article. So from 2016 to 2019, they made up names and addresses, acquired USPS priority mail packages, shipped it off, uh, damaged the boxes or the material that was inside or wasn't even the packages or the material inside, claimed that there were all of these damaged things. They had 15 PO boxes throughout Temecula with fake names, um, but all of it proxied back to their actual address. And yeah, so Anwar Alam uh, wrapped empty packages or packages containing little or no value and sent them via priority mail to fake recipients at fictitious addresses. Uh, Yusavzi Alam or Alam um, then submitted to USPS fraudulent insurance claims to the U.S. Postal Service. Now here's the the thing: two point three million dollars. The checks that were issued to the brothers to cover their purported losses up to $100 in value, plus the cost of shipping. So that's a lot of claims. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that like 23,000 claims? Roughly? Yeah. 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 I think so. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I wonder how they, figured this out like were a lot of claims coming from the same addresses i mean because if that's a lot of claims even though that's a high number of post office boxes yeah i don't i don't get it how did they so i don't know when they actually started getting prosecuted um but the, the time frame was only between 2016 and 2019. So I don't know when they actually started this whole thing. There might be something um, elsewhere. If we like go and root around somewhere and find out about the lawsuit from some other uh, vehicle, you know, not this website, we might be able to find out. Uh, but yeah, I thought that was really fascinating. $2.3 million in claims. 
that seemingly were bounded by $100 claims. Pretty amazing. Let's keep going. Uh, the next article is over in Technology Today. Scientists identify potential treatment to reverse amnesia. I titled this one, but then they forgot the formula. <laughs> A study conducted on mice aimed at understanding memory decline in individuals subjected to recurrent head trauma, such as athletes and uh, uh, web show hosts and podcasters and mayors of fictional communities uh, that are in the ethernet lines uh, around the world called Omtown. It says it all in the article, exactly how I'm saying it. It's uncanny that they're almost speaking to me. Anyway, Georgetown University Medical Center put the article together. It's over at SciTech Daily. Um, let me throw this into the chat right away. I, I, I tend not to do that. You're on the ball. I am. Well, I'm having a ball. Uh, the study conducted by researchers at Georgetown University Medical Center in collaboration with Trinity College Dublin, Ireland, was recently published in the Journal of Neuroscience. The findings on reversible memory loss. Importantly, for diagnostic and treatment purposes, the researchers found that the memory loss attributed to head injury was not permanent pathological event driven by a neurodegenerative disease. Indeed, the researchers could reverse the amnesia to allow mice to recall the lost memory. How do they know this in mice? <clears throat> I don't want to know the details of the experiment. Potentially allowing cognitive impairment caused by head impact to be clinically reversed. Yeah. So... Let's see here. The Georgetown investigators had previously found that the brain adapts to repeated head impacts by changing the way the synapses in the brain operate. We've known this for a while. Um, as a matter of fact, that the brain basically remaps to try and recover. Um, uh, yeah, I don't want to know how they actually conducted this. This uh, just kind of hurts me. I mean, I think this research is very valuable. Wish it could be but, simulated in a computer, but exactly. Most research in this area has been in human brains with chronic traumatic encephalopathy, um, which is a degenerative brain disease found in people with a history of repetitive, repetitive head impact, uh, said Burns. By contrast, our goal was to understand how the brain changes in response to low level head impacts that many young football players regularly experience. The same thing happens with boxers and pretty much anybody um, that takes trauma to the head repeatedly. Um, <laughs> sorry, I'm not laughing at this. I'm laughing at a joke that I would hear in my head. Um, so researchers have found on average college football players receive 21 head impacts per week with defensive ends receiving 41 head impacts per week. There's something wrong with that. Putting your lifetime of health at risk for the potential to make money. And that's what this is. Oh, for the love of the game. Right, right, right. All right. <laughs> really? You're going to end up with CTE because you love the game. If, and statistically, if it, you're not going to make it big. Correct. Right? Uh, such a small percentage actually makes it big time. Correct. It's like 
one one thousandth or something like that of a percent chance that you're gonna make it and i I, but i hear from people periodically you know i'm gonna win the game i'm gonna win the game the game being be a baller you know uh make it big and yeah play to thousands and or tens of thousands understand the cost yeah your entire future So the researchers were able to reverse the amnesia to allow the mice to remember the lost memory using lasers to activate the engram cells. That's the actual memories, the actual memories. That's where it's coded and engram is coded memory in cells. We used an invasive technique to reverse the memory loss in our mice. And unfortunately this is not translatable to humans. We are currently studying a number of non-invasive techniques to try to communicate to the brain that it's no longer in danger and to open a window of plasticity that can reset the brain to its former state. So it actually locks out because of a trauma. And so the synapses change mapping around the memory and thus not activating that memory. Um, And so the trauma itself is like PTSD you basically it remaps the brain and then you act differently if as time goes on you can reverse the PTSD and in this case just amnesia you may be able to again communicate to the brain that it is no longer in danger and restore plasticity so it can return to adaptive and in changing environments remap, relearn, recondition itself and bring it back to its normal state to include the memories um, or to overcome the trauma that might have um, been made manifest. Um, It's quite fascinating. Unfortunately, again, they say it was invasive. So um, who knows what they're actually ending up doing. So, but hey, This could lead to a fundamental shift in overcoming a whole host of memory-based issues. Like dementia. Being able to... I mean, think of Alzheimer's. Think of all these things that are associated with that. Mm -hmm. This could be the breakthrough. Yep. Let's keep going. Uh, The next article... And there's always context to the to that kind of research so where it applies might not be exactly where i am giving it some type of example but maybe with additional research that context can change so this next article is over in hatch ideas job posts for workers without degrees are booming the actual hiring doesn't always follow walmart amazon apple nike gm and delta are among top companies urging workers without degrees to apply for jobs like bolting doors onto planes, for instance. Um, but the data Wait on hiring is... Wait a second, is... that was not what? one of the companies. <laughs> oh, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, never mind that last part. So the the data on this hiring is spotty. Why? Because it's an internal process and HR isn't going to sit there and run out and say, hey, look, we're hiring people. We say that we hire people without degrees, but we don't. Um, In fact, I company is really going, yeah, 90% of our workers don't have degrees. Yeah, they're not promoting that. Yeah. and, And on top of that, they're not actually doing it. So the article actually is over at CNBC. Um, 
Cheryl Winokur Monk is the author of this article. It's in a section that I think is called the bottom line, but it's basically like CNBC, then the bottom line, and then there's something else, and then there's something else. I, I don't know. It's kind of a hot mess of layout, but I think it's the bottom line. Um, so they say in this article, the key points of this is many of the uh, market's top companies from Walmart to Amazon to Apple, GM, Bank of America, Uber, Nike, Delta, um, Target, encourage uh, workers without higher educations to seek a wider variety of jobs and are removing degree requirements from more job postings. So the removal of the job requirement of a degree doesn't really necessarily manifest because if there are two people that have the same skill set and one has the higher degree and maybe just maybe the ability to communicate better and is better educated, but is willing to take the gig at the same rate. I'm pretty sure that they're going to go and what pans out is pretty much that they're hiring the same people. Um, but they do tout that if you do get a skills based career opportunity, you and thus you don't have a degree. Now you can get as much as 25% higher pay without the degree. And apparently the employees tend to stay longer in the roles. So it might be because they, they'll suffer through additional abuses because they know that there aren't additional opportunities out there for people without a degree. Now, what's really weird about this article is that they actually dropped cybersecurity in here later on in the article because I had to read this because I needed to know what the context of this was. That's why I titled this section. They're hiring the same people. Uh, but the new report from Burning Glass Institute and Harvard Business School focuses on how companies stack up at, uh, in their efforts to hire non-degreed workers. That paper and, and the business school basically came to the conclusion that they're still hiring the same people, but they're announcing that they hire people without, which is really, they're just opening up opportunity, but the opportunity still pans out better for the people with a degree. What do you think of any of this? I, I think this is one of these where it's like they're expanding their potential um, market um, in terms of who can get hired. But I think you're absolutely right. I don't think the effect is really, I don't suspect the effect is really there and we don't have statistics on it anyway. Right. Yeah, so the U.S. Census Bureau data shows that about 62% of Americans don't have degrees. The push to hire more of these workers doesn't apply to low-level jobs that never required a degree or professional positions like doctors or lawyers. What's at stake here is middle-tier jobs like construction managers, sales uh, supervisors, web developers, which are actually software engineers. So I don't know why they say web developers. This is not middle-tier job. That's a skilled role is the access to the education necessary to do web development at, at an all-time low level of friction yeah it's easy to get the resources but it is very very hard to be a skilled web developer middle tier my ass cybersecurity 
Good luck. If you don't have a bachelor's degree in cybersecurity, you're not working for an agency that affords you the ability to become a cybersecurity analyst. You have to work for the federal government. Otherwise, it's nearly illegal. You have to go to a company and, and go and, and the company doesn't even want to hire somebody that doesn't have agency. Why? Because if you hire somebody and they say they're a cybersecurity analyst and they don't have Copia's legal backing and a massive amount of gravitas and your company gets breached, that person is going to end up criminally charged for negligence. Even though there is no certification body out there that says you have to have insurance and this and that and the other. No, cybersecurity, web development, IT help desk. There are web, they're not web certifications, but there are industry certifications that show the world that you know what the hell you're talking about. IT goes CompTIA and ends up in higher levels. Uh, cybersecurity starts out as CompTIA, Net Plus, Security Plus, and ends up at ever increasing levels of uh, certification. Um, and uh, web development does the same thing, but it's slightly different because it's about software engineering and you have to learn a ton of languages to become efficient, effective. So I don't even like the way that this was structured because this is all web portfolio and networking based. And it's it. not as high on the, on the technical uh, skill spectrum, right? In some of those. Yeah. Like construction manager, sales supervisors. There's others that are like that. Um, like retail, etc. They're They're not, technically sophisticated, but this is technical sophistication and you do need something that shows. So they say tip, uh, these jobs typically require certain skill sets and training, but not necessarily a four year degree. That's rare. Yeah. But the difference is what required on paper versus what's required to get hired. And I think most companies probably aren't taking a chance. However, I think the reason they're expanding the potential for no degree is because, right? What has every industry had problems with? Hiring people over the last yeah. few years. Yeah. Partic particularly in tech industries. And that's mainly because they don't hire interns in great numbers. The, the uh, options to actually get these skills is limited because you either learn on your own and get industry certifications on your own. For web developers, it's all about building a portfolio and then having the ability to get your foot in the door, which means social skills and communication. Cybersecurity is another, I already talked about that, and IT is the same way. If you don't have A plus minimum and at least world knowledge of uh, IT, you're not gonna get hired. Um, so, and an IT help desk specialists require industry specific knowledge because if you work for somebody in IT that's in the health industry and you don't know about the health related software and processes, then you're not going right, to, you're not going to be much help. <laughs> right. So, I mean, that's why we need in various industries as a nation, we need more uh, businesses going to universities, community colleges, and, and, 
providing copious numbers of internships. That's how you get people hired on because you're not going to be able to do this, you know, easily. But this all starts in high school, by the way. Yeah, that, all of this education that they're talking about is starting in high school nowadays. Well, and so, I mean, I guess for people that are just coming into the job market, maybe that's a good sign. But I still think to maximize their chances, they're going to have to get at least a four-year degree, if not an advanced degree. Yep, I think so, too. Joseph Fuller, a professor of management practice at Harvard Business School, recommends job seekers use the index to compare companies in the same sector since there can be vast differences in their hiring and promotion practices for non-degreed workers. Fuller said he doesn't doubt commitment uh, at the management level for any of the companies aimed in the report, but said that the policy pro uh, pronouncements can only go so far. They can announce good intentions, but they have to execute against those good intentions. Which basically means, to me, that reads, if they, here's the problem. If they say we hire people without a degree, the people with a degree can actually possibly make a claim against the company for disparate treatment. You're not being hired because you have a degree? I'm just as skilled as them. It's not a protected or class. Or I'm at the same salary, right? And I right. have a degree. Yeah. It's not a protected class. There, you know, education isn't a protected class, but anybody that falls into those cracks of protected classes and gets nixed because they have a degree could possibly file um, an equal, in, uh, e uh, equal employment um, claim because they were treated differently, potentially because of complicating factors. Yeah, the other problem is here, I don't think they put any numbers. So if they say something like we hire people without degrees, so what? they might in fact do that. But if they're a, you know, a company with thousands of workers and they have two people without degrees, we hire them. They did what they said, but that's not exactly <laughs> what people are expecting. Oh, man. Uh, yeah. It's just horrible to look at that. Yeah. Only 37% of firms analyzed uh, made tangible changes in their hiring practices. These leaders included major employers such as uh, Coke Industries, Walmart, Apple, General Motors, Target, Cigna, Tyson Foods, ExxonMobil, Yelp. The fact that some are very very successful companies do meaningfully change their hiring profile suggests it's not a lack of talent that's impeding skills-based hiring efforts. Rather, it implies managers may be reticent to hire people without degrees, absent specific policies to assess these worker skills. If there are two candidates, and this is what I said, right at, right at the top I said this, if there are two candidates, one with a degree, one without, to many hiring managers, it feel it will feel risky and it is because the argument has been countless it has been demonstrably proven those with a degree are better educated than those without except for you will always find <coughs> people that stand up that are brilliant without a degree but you're and the anomaly with a degree that are not brilliant right i mean it doesn't 
prove it one way or the other, but overall, right? Correct. They're going to have a higher level of education. I think the other problem is, and this is what the article is starting to get into, if whether it's right or wrong, somebody has assumed that a degree shows that there's some chance the person can do a good job, right? Yeah. That's probably a flawed premise to begin with, but they don't really have anything that's kind of um, a replacement for it, right? And so that's the other thing. It reminds me of the risk issue we're talking about with, I think it was the cybersecurity example. Yeah. If you're hiring somebody and they have nothing on paper to show they can do it and you hire them and something goes wrong, I think you're putting the company at risk. Correct. Yeah. And what I say to people is if you don't have a portfolio or some documented history of your uh, work product or efforts in, in a workplace, the only thing you have is the degree to show that you have the tenacity to sit through a long-term project. And, and that level of dedication actually rings really true to hiring authorities. So even if you only have the degree, associates, bachelors, masters, whatever, PhD usually is one of those things where you've been grinding away to reach the outer limit of education, of that educational line. And you just kind of push that one last little bump out in the whole field of your specialty. But by that time, you've probably been working in the industry, um, you're the people who you are working for are actually paying for your PhD, or you're going to be in academic for the rest of your life doing fundamental research and chasing grants. Um, but people can make particularly in it and cyber and, and other, uh, areas that evolve into policymaking, um, or procedure development, make $80,000 coming out of a two year, college with the right certifications and with the ability to communicate to a, a major employer. Um, and then you just show that passion, you show that dedication to your field and they buy into it. And I'll give you an example. Um, I was just having a, a, a dinner with a compatriot and a family was sitting next to me and we ended up talking. Um, and and without getting too into it because of the way that I was talking and I've heard this before uh, and, and I wish that I could use it at, uh, to my advantage, but I'm just not like that. The person leaned over to my compatriot and said, whatever he is selling, I am willing to buy. And it's because <laughs> I was passionate about the topic that we were talking about. And, and I was coming from a position of knowledge and experience. That's what you have to do. Even if you, all you have is a two-year degree or, or just certifications, you know what the hell you're talking about and people will buy into it regardless of the degrees. Um, and I've got multiple, but I may not get hired. You know, if I leave the, the field that I'm in right now, um, if I just go in and become a streamer and I go, you know what? It's not panning out. I'm going to go back to the workplace. People may not hire me, even though I have multiple degrees and, and 30 years of experience. Um, why? Because they see me as kind of being wishy-washy and not dedicated to the field or whatever it is. There's countless reasons why somebody won't get hired. 
um, and you have to overcome it. N none of these hiring discussions here are actually going to be talking about the fact that you have to get your foot in the door and that's human to human communication. Exactly. If you can get in, if, if you don't screw up, you're probably going to be okay. Assuming it's not a company that has yep. massive financial issues, but then it's going to be up to you, right? To do hard work, uh, motivation, etc., to poop up. Yeah. Um, this article, by the way, is actually quite extensive. They talk uh, quite a bit about the data that is within this um, paper and uh, index. It's called the American Opportunity Index. Workers who want to see how specific companies or sectors compare can use the American Opportunity Index to compare them uh, based on factors such as hiring, pay, promotion, parity, and culture. Culture is highly subjective. Um, I urge you to go and check it all out. But the the real problem here is getting your foot in the door you have to stand out if you don't have a superior degree that comes from a name brand school you have to stand out in some way and that's typically a portfolio or someone you know being able to insinuate you into that organization um, and frankly i'm anti-nepotistic so i won't even condone that but again if you can win it, then apparently it's okay for some people. It's just not okay with me. Anyway, let's keep on going. This is a, an area that you could talk about for hours and hours. It could be its own episode. <laughs> yeah, I'm afraid of that. Let's keep going. Uh, the next article is over in Hometown Daily Fact Check. NASA quit painting space shuttle's fuel tank because it added 600 pounds. I thought that that was actually true. Um, with propellant, the external tank weighs more than 1.6 million pounds. This is a Snopes article. Um, with propellant, the, the tank weighed more than 1.6 million pounds. So why would it matter that 600 pounds impacts it? Um, you wouldn't think it would. <laughs> well, 600 pounds of additional weight is a, a lot more fuel because they actually charge thousands of dollars per ounce for weight in the cargo hold. So removing 600 pounds oh, of weight. Oh, I was weight, thinking that was fewer astronauts they could carry. Well, the astronauts would always go, but the cargo would be limited to what it could actually fly. Were you cracking a joke? No, it wasn't a joke. I mean, if it's like, okay, if it's 600 pounds, however much an astronaut weighs, take that number off <laughs> from that because we have to paint it <laughs> those fat astronauts <laughs> i wasn't even making a joke <laughs> i had to look I mean, at not really not about how much they weighed just that that's that would prevent the astronauts from going if we painted it i had to look back at what you said and and go wait was it a joke i'm not ai's make the funniest jokes i tell you so take, for example, the Reddit post below. Reddit ends up in so many news articles um, because it's socially driven. Um, it, it really does inspire people to like pay some like service to it. You know, you have to look, oh, there's a whole slew of people that are interested in this. Let's go and investigate it. Um, I cannot count how many articles throughout the week stem from somebody. Oh, yeah triggering discussion um 
the only problem that I have with Reddit is that there's so much noise in there that I, I, I can't hear the news for all of the discussion, like random, just noise. Um, anyway, so the Reddit post below, um, which was shared to the r slash space subreddit in 2023 had received more than 31,000 upvotes at the time of the publication. So, um, the claim is true by removing the, by not painting it, <laughs> um, it saves 600 pounds because white latex paint is needed to cover such a large surface area. This is the same reason why they shorten Federal Express to FedEx. Which is just astounding, but I guess the paint has a cost. It saved like a million dollars a year or something like that in paint costs alone to change <laughs> Federal Express to FedEx. So the external tank was painted white for the first two space shuttles and for the third they left it unpainted and that became that kind of rust red. Um, and, uh, I mean, there's more to this article, but the nuts and bolts of it is, yeah, it's true. Um, but we've actually, well, I mean, in like business class, they sit there and talk about federal express saving all kinds of money because they changed the name. Um, but, and it, because they changed the name, it shortened the amount of paint needed to paint the name. So everything became cheaper. So I thought this was really interesting. I think I had heard of this being true way back in the day when the shuttles were actually flying. Um, but it's good that it has a Snopes article. I really appreciate Snopes um, for what they do. They do a lot of due diligence. So. Madison Dabchevic is the author of this uh, article over at snap snopes.com uh, go and check it out let's keep going dilly dilly that is not what this is but um, <laughs> like dilly dilly is a, yeah dilly dilly is actually a, a a cheer like yay kind of a thing i thought it was really oh i thought it was from the beer commercial um the it's a real set. it's a real saying but it's used in the beer commercial dilly dilly um, so at least again, as far as I recall, so this is an article over at Late Night Geeks. Let me throw it into chat real quick. Um, and yes, we started the show an hour early <laughs> because yeah, I wanted to. <laughs> so, um, Dilly or Dilly, I'm not sure how it's actually pronounced because it's a, a, a what do they call that when they truncate a word? Um, to make a new word off of it i don't know anyway it's the beginning of the word diligence so dilly 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 wants to automate due diligence with ai which i think is oxymoronic <laughs> how do you do, do how does ai do due diligence for you due diligence is a human doing the necessary work to <laughs> The AI requires due diligence based <laughs> the, the hallucination <laughs> Stephanie oh Song. Oh my gosh, sorry. Dilly Dilly goes back to at least 1675. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like a cheer. It's like, 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 um, yay or something like that. Dilly Dilly. Um, and I don't remember the uh, 
etymology of this, this is actually something that I want to pull into um, one of the other shows. Uh, where is it? Uh, Dictioneer. It's actually something that I used to have as a service in my company. But um, Dilly wants to automate due diligence with AI. Stephanie Song, formerly of the corporate development and ventures team at Coinbase, was often frustrated by the volume of due diligence tasks she and her team had to complete on a daily basis. Damn it, I have to actually verify facts. I hate having to do due diligence. <laughs> I, I prefer to just put out just random <laughs> information. Yeah, just human hallucination is on par with AI hallucination. So I'm never surprised that AI hallucinates because humans make shit up all oh, the time. right. It was, I guess, input by humans, right? Yeah, garbage in, garbage out, right? And garbage in, garbage out means that it's a giant dumpster fire at the end of the day. Analysts burn the midnight oil, working hundreds of hours, doing the work that nobody wants to do. A song told TechCrunch. Now, the article is over at TechCrunch.com. Kyle Wiggers is the author. Um, again, we don't read the whole article here live, but... Uh, Dilly is a Y Combinator graduate, raised $3.6 million in venture funding to date from backers such as Aliens, um, Strategic Investments, Rebel Fund, Singularity Capital, Corn, on and on. So AI affects all parts of an investment fund from analysts to partners and back office functions, Song said, investment fundamentals, sorry, investment professionals at funds are looking for a different edge. On decision making it really should be uh, these people get the actual evidence and they make factual decisions fundamental research um on based on the due diligence they they look at the data and they go this is the facts and here is my the chain of evidence uh, uh, from beginning to end so when i make a, a funding decision it's based on facts not Hey, my AI did all of this due diligence and said I should invest. Because who are you going to be pissed off at? Now go talk to a lawyer that used an AI to file a well, brief. I mean, anybody who's trusting an AI to use anything important or to provide anything important is off. Yeah, you're out of your mind. Says so song's not wrong. Uh, about funds looking for an edge or any promising new ways to mitigate investing risk, for that matter. VCs reportedly have $311 billion in unspent cash and last year raised the lowest total, $67 billion, in seven years as they grew increasingly ca uh, cautious about early stage ventures. When you have unspent cash uh, to the tune of uh, a, a third of a trillion dollars, Something's wrong. <laughs> yeah, sorry. So Dilly isn't the first to apply AI to due diligence process. Gartner predicts that by 2025, more than 75% of VC and early stage investor executive reviews will be informed using AI and data analytics. Data analytics is not the same as AI um, evaluation and, and due diligence. Data analytics is grabbing the the data and turning it into information to which a person is doing the due diligence by looking at the information punched out by the data analytics software verifying the data analytics 
and then making an educated decision on additional information. You don't just look at the data, uh, uh, some, you know, you hit enter and it punches out a yes or no, and you move on that. I mean, you can, but please give me your $311 billion in unspent cash and I'll make sure that it doesn't get lost because of your decision to use just AI to do due diligence. I said a lot in one breath. <laughs> Take a breath. Yeah. So they say that it's, uh, and it's not a sentient AI, like the one that keeps marijuana out of trouble. Okay. This is just regular old AI, not generative. It's doing analytics, but it's AI based. So it accesses the world's knowledge and does a copious amount of trend analysis. This is actually specific to venture funding, by the way. Um, but this has, this is the nascent uh, arena of AI due diligence, which is gonna penetrate things like the healthcare market and the legal sector. Um, but anybody that trusts, you know, version zero to one is asking for some serious trouble. Um, and we'll see where it all ends up. Uh, again, the article goes into greater detail, but they say things like AI isn't necessarily known for sticking to facts. After all, fast company tested chat GPT's ability to sum up articles and found that the model had a tendency to get stuff wrong, leave pieces out, outright invent details not mentioned in the articles it summarized. It's not tough to imagine how this might become a real problem in due diligence work where accuracy is paramount. <laughs> I mean, I agree that the due diligence matters, but I don't quite see how this is going to solve this. If anything, it's going to make it complex. And uh, I've used chat GPT to summarize transcripts from the show and it made crap up. And yeah, mine just pulled data from somewhere right? from, yeah, the proverbial hole, it, it just made stuff up and I was astonished. Um, I, and I've actually had it look back in history. Um, and at the time that some of my experiments took place, it didn't have the most current data. And so it just made stuff up that was seemingly more current. It would have been better to say, like, I don't have the answer or yeah. whatever. Right. Hey, my information doesn't go this day or something, you know, hey, I made this up. If it doesn't cite and if your due diligence doesn't cite something, you deserve Source. everything you get. <laughs> I made this up. <laughs> Source. Yeah. I hallucinated. Uh, <laughs> Source. There's a coder in mom's basement that has been working on this. Oh, no. I probably just offended a bunch of people. Anyway, Billy ran an initial pilot last year with 400 analysts and users across different types of funds and banks. But as the startup expands its team and adds new capabilities, it's angling to expand into new applications, ultimately toward becoming an end-to-end -end solution for investor due diligence and portfolio management success. Yeah. As AI taps into more and more data and it's focused, then it doesn't need to hallucinate as much. But until I know for a fact and I have reference, I want citation, in-text citations, parentheticals that point to a references document 
that I can click a link and verify for myself the summary of whatever bullshit the AI is spewing out. Two on the nose? Just a bit. Too soon. And then it's always too soon. Let's keep going. Technology Today is where the next article is. Ever want to play Mario Kart accompanied by a live jazz band in Oklahoma? You can. A five-piece band but is putting... anywhere else, apparently. Yeah, why would you, right? Um, in Oklahoma, a five-piece band has been putting an authentic musical accent on local Mario Kart tournaments. Video game soundtracks don't come more iconic than Mario Kart, as characters, circuits, and power-ups have evolved from the Super Nintendo Entertainment System to N64, Wii, and Switch. So has the music. Each new interpretation comes with the familiar melodies of the earlier Mario Karts alongside with new tone or alongside new tones. What could enhance the experience further than having a live jazz band playing the familiar Mario Kart tunes as you race? I'll make this one really quick. Rich Pelly over at The Guardian put this article together. And so, yeah. In, uh, uh where's the place, uh, though? I'm trying to find the actual place. You mean There's the all... city? Oklahoma City. No, no, no. But, like, where are they actually doing this? Not in the city. There has to be a venue. Right? Where are they I agree, but this? I don't see it in here. Live music played with Mario Kart has been done before, but we wanted to be the newest version of the game, and as far as we could see, no one had done that. At least not in the U.S. Pairing the two seemed really natural. At the end of the day, everybody loves Mario Kart. It's always a great time. Um, there's always been this really natural pairing between video games and their soundtracks, explains Mario Kart 8 live drummer. Ethan Neal, who also plays with alt or U.S. alt-rock band Johnny Manchild and the Poor Bastards, and is speaking with his bandmates from Oklahoma. So, where did they actually play this? Uh, I'm looking, but I haven't seen it in here yet. Um, Gonzalez brought Farrell, or, yeah... Farrell along whom he'd met at the University of Oklahoma. Um, they don't say where they're actually doing this. Maybe a competition somewhere, but that's not what they say. Oh, 51st Street Speakeasy in March. Mario Kart 8 live play. Um, so Mario Kart 8 live play the 51st street speakeasy in march and they have an instagram live mario cart underscore uh, okc oklahoma city that is a deep dive all the way to the bottom of the article to find out where they're actually playing i agree i'm kind of surprised they didn't have that listed in the top photo caption or somewhere somewhere higher up there's two places at the right did I'm trying to find it somewhere else, but no, they're anyway. They I want think... you to read the entire article. Yeah, it's halfway through. Actually, it's two thirds of the way through when they actually disclose that they're playing both at the 51st Street Speakeasy in Oklahoma City. Um, but they had two played two gigs so far. The band have so far played two gigs in December 2023 and last month, both at the 51st Street Speakeasy. This is a hell of an article to raise awareness of playing Mario Kart 
in, in Oklahoma. <laughs> Speakeasy. All right. It's neat. It's different. I mean, I mean, it's not going to a massive venue and Lord of the Rings is playing with a huge orchestra, but this is cute and fun and a lot more right, intimate. It probably gives it more oomph, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It would be neat, you know? And always unique because they can change it and do whatever they want. It's pretty cool. And if you mess up while you're playing, maybe they like, you know, riff off of it. You know, it's fun. If only I wanted to play Mario Kart. It's easy. So uh, the next article. Oh, no. Hey, hold on. Before I do that, let me throw. Uh, I got sidetracked by my snark. So there's that one, and here's the one we're about to talk about. There you go, folks. So would you live in uh, this next article is over at hometown daily. Would you live in a city that forced you to exercise AI? What do you fight the urge to say to citizens who have who walk by trash on the road? Pick up that can citizen citizen. Yeah. yeah thank you. Okay. God. Sometimes. Um, anyway, a Cambridge University architectural researcher talks us through the physical future of city living. Oh, would you work in a place or would you live in a city that forced you to exercise? Pandora Dewan always seems to have these articles that really are like opening up Pandora's box. I you agree. Do you think they're chosen intentionally? I don't know. It's awesome pairing, though. Um, about one in four Americans are physically inactive. Hey. Um, according to data from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Is it a disease? That's not the part to cheer at. Oh, I'm sorry. That's not where you go dilly dilly. <laughs> <laughs> dilly dilly. Numerous studies have shown that this kind of sedentary lifestyle can increase your risk of all mortality, heart disease, diabetes, obesity, colon cancer, depression. The list goes on. Hey, and if you have all of them, you're an overachiever and you're probably at a lower <laughs> level. Um, so, but for many of us, physical inactivity is not a conscious choice. It stems from sitting all day at a desk job, driving to work because there's no suitable walking or sit, um, cycling routes, having little time for rec, etc. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, an active city would offer you loads of ways to get from A to B. But you can't do, look, man. You can't do, you can't sit there and hustle your way from A to B if it's snowing out or if it's 112 degrees out. That's I true. Just, if you live in a place with a very mild climate, right? maybe this could work pretty well. Yeah, not everybody can do that. So anyway, not only would these activity uh, active cities be full of variety, but they would also be good for our health. Active city would uh, help people stay overall physically active which is by itself good for heart, digestion, mood, cognition, and so on. I agree. None of this is actually revolutionary thought, but designing a city to facilitate that, um, you know, we've been in cities. Well, I mean, we've been in cities with master plans that promote the idea of being able to walk to work. True. They're like walker or pedestrian friendly, but I don't think they've like built in exercise along that way yeah but it, uh, hold on 
let me see. I'm trying to find out if that's the, the whole ideology here, or like this 15-minute city. Embracing the concept where Portland's uh, complete neighborhoods and Eugene's 20-minute living are putting their own spin on the idea in Oregon. 15-minute city. Basically, everything is available within 15 minutes. And if you can walk around a 15-minute a city, then I can buy into it, right? But if you have to sit there and walk for an hour to get to your destination, that sucks. And weather and right. other You could stuff. see where this could be a problem in a place like New York City, right? Like you're going from one borough to the other. I mean, that's going to be like an all day endeavor. But you can get in mass transit and do it. That's right, easy but that's mode. defeating the purpose of this, yes. But un unless, you know, the mass transit has treadmills on it. You can power. Now that would be something. Talk about going green. It's a treadmill powered bus. And if you don't get enough riders on there, you're going to be hustling your ass up that hill. <laughs> really, really rough. Um, so it's important that these uh, routes are accessible to people of all ages and abilities. We are specifically designing those routes for non-sporty sedentary people with complicated lives and no habit of exercising every day to make a step into physical activity very easy for them. You know what? Just put a Dorito on a stick right in front, just dangling That there. might be effective. <laughs> uh, uh, Dorito. I know it'll get me going. Of course, I'm still stymied by object permanence, but that's okay. <laughs> Baldina's group is currently working with architects in Cambridge to create such active landscapes with similar structures like the Simcoe wave deck in Toronto already popping up around the world. So, all right. There's no picture of this, <laughs> just that. And you know what? Kids are active. It's a picture of a kid hopping from one step stone to another. But doggone it. But they want the adults to do this. Yeah, they want adults to do this. No. By the way, a very good way to get exercise as an adult is to go to a kid's playground. Especially one of those real involved ones that has lots of things. Yeah, uh, I would not be invited back. With a kid. <laughs> Oh. But the exercises are quite challenging, not for the kids, but for the adults. <laughs> not everybody has an excess kid that they can bring along, you know. <laughs> Excuse me, can I borrow your child? I need to go to a playground. All of this is getting really weird. <laughs> You're making it really weird. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, I'll bring them back. It's okay. Uh, next article is over in Omtown Daily. Termites inspire shelters for life on the moon. NASA has big plans for the Artemis program to return Americans to the moon. Why not just say humans? I swear. For the first time since 1972, when we didn't really land on the moon. Come on. I mean, it's made of cheese and powered by aliens. And established a lunar base for humans for or by the end of the decade. Uh, let's go over to Futurity. Katie Smith from University of Arizona put the article together. A team of engineers is drawing inspiration from termite cathedral mounds 
to help astronauts survive the moon's harsh environment. So I'm opting to change the name either to Moon Mites or Astro Mites. That's not a good look there. <laughs> so, yeah. What do you want to be? If you were an astronaut and you were going to the moon, would you like to be known as an Astro Mite or a Moon Mite? Moon Mite. Moon Mite. I agree. I like Moonlight. So you're going to be a little tunnel rat hunkered underneath whatever it is you're going to be building out of whatever it is that they're building. I really don't like the idea of like a fabric kind of environment on the moon because I don't want something to puncture that thing and I get sucked out into space. Yeah, that doesn't sound very fun. Not that it... Well, I, no. No. Yeah, it would have to be pressurized. Jacken Fenga, associate professor in the aerospace and mechanical engineering department at the University of Arizona and his students have developed prototypes of lunar sandbag structures and the underlying concept for a network of robots that can build them. Oh, that's fine. If they're scooping up all of this moon dirt and sticking it in bags and then plastering them together in some way then yeah i can buy oh, that, into that that's really good too because that means you don't have to transport all those materials to that's the moon right. yeah you just need a 3d printer bot oh look at that if it's good enough for the moon it should be good enough for here i don't know <laughs> see but the costs are going to be astronomical Venga estimates uh, astronauts will first land on the moon as part of the Artemis 2026 or 2027 in a consortium called Lunar Brick. His team is partnering with NASA's JPL at Caltech and MDA, a space robotics company, to develop technology for Artemis moon landings. Literal moonshot. So I guess that's their hope right there. Porous cathedral termite mounds, which insects can uh, constantly adjust to regulate their underground nests, can soar as high as 23 feet and stand for as long as 80 years. But okay, so I didn't know they were that sturdy. However, do they have to come with termites? No, moon mites. There's going to be a whole bunch of astronauts running around, slowly building and rebuilding these towers. Okay, as long as they don't put any termites in them. Aliens are going to come and knock it over anyway. Because if a human finds this in in a, in a country full of people who don't really buy into this. Okay, here, I'll put it to you this way. Here in the States, there was a rock that had been sitting there perched atop a, a, a little, uh, what do you call it? Basically, a little stand was holding this rock up. And somebody paid too much attention to it on the internets and some dipshit came over and pushed the rock over and it had been there for thousands upon thousands of years. That's what's going to happen on the moon with a, a sandbag, whatever. I think it needs to be more resilient structures, but I guess we're going to find out. So NASA I guess they're going to have to vet astronauts so that are you the type of person that's going to knock over a structure just to knock it over? Okay, <laughs> you don't get to go on this mission. Yeah, I mean, the implication really is that something is going to knock it over because it's little sandbags. 
I, I don't like the idea of it just being sandbags. And that's exactly what it is. Robots embed sensors and electronics in the sandbags, fill them with the lunar regolith, which is the dirt, um, before assembling the structures in place. Some sensors provide location data to help the robots place the sandbags, um, which is weird. Robots embed sensors and electronics in the sandbag? Okay. Um, other supply uh, environmental information and communication capabilities to warn of danger on the moon. Temperatures range from negative 298 to positive 224 degrees Fahrenheit. Micrometeors bombard the surface at an average of 60,000 miles per hour and solar radiation and lunar dust threaten exploration. This is what I was talking about. It's going to get knocked over by the equivalent of a, a cosmic dipshit. So NASA has granted Thanga's team $500,000 for lunar surface projects through this agency's Space Technology Artemis Research Program, or MSTAR, which is, they always go acronym. Even Oh, the, yes, it's the, a thing, particularly in the space program. Yeah, in government in general, which the, uh, is part of the NASA's Minority University Research and Education Project, or MUREP. That one just flew. Okay. I think they could have gone without that. <laughs> uh, well, anyway, uh, this is a really neat idea. I, I would love for it to succeed. Um, I don't know what they actually built. It seems like this is glowing. So it's like it's hollow, right? Like the sun is hitting it and the shadow is. It looks like it's. Right. That's lit what up. it looks like. But. And it doesn't look like the. Like there's a, a, a simulated regolith in this. So what what is this? It, it looks like a bunch of pillows. <laughs> <laughs> it must not be. Okay, let's keep going. Uh, the next article is over in Warcrafter. It turns out speed running Windows installs is a thing. So why not spare 106 seconds to watch the world's most heart pounding record attempt? Nothing beats the feel of a freshly installed operating system. Actually, I'm quite nervous about that because I have to install just a metric ton of software. Um, it's also fast and snappy with nothing clogging up the registry and uh, or start menu. The only problem is that it's a bit of a drag to do, uh, not least being the time spent waiting for Windows to install itself. The 65 gigabyte virus that it is. Wouldn't be, it'd be great if it was all over in a couple of minutes. Turns out that this can actually be done and be, uh, and has been pared down to 106 seconds to install Windows. I believe that when I see it. So here's a trick, everybody. I'm going to, I'm going to give you a life pro tip. Instead of reinstalling Windows, you buy another M.2 drive, install a perfect working copy of Windows on it, install all of your baseline stuff on it, and then make a copy of it, a bootable copy of it. And then whenever you want, you have the urge to reinstall Windows, you Take the drive out and put the new one in and you're done <laughs> and you're back <laughs> to normal. That um, sounds pretty quick. And then you copy the one that is 
a perfect working copy, you just clone that drive onto the other bad drive that you're wiping out. And now you're back to normal. And if you really want to go the extra mile, you install VMware or ESXi um, and have a server and you just drag and drop virtual machines so that you don't have to actually have a computer like everything installed and your computer can be fresh every morning. That's really, really, really heavy lifting because uh, I think that the licensing now is something like $15,000 for the server. I mean, but VMware for the end user workstation is actually approachable uh, in cost. Anyway, there's a lot more to that, but this is over at PC Gamer. Turns out that speedrunning Windows installs is a thing. Uh, Nick Evanson uh, put the article together for PC Gamer. And uh, there is a link here. Do you want to watch this? Yes. Okay, so Nick Evanson put the article together. The deck statement says that's quicker than it takes me to make a cup of coffee or even drink it. Which, yeah, 106 seconds is actually a really short amount of time. So so here we go. We're just going to run this. I'm going to mute it. Um, and I won't blow it up or anything. I'll just leave it small. So right down here is a counter. And uh, apparently they initiated the install. 17 seconds in, it's got the Windows setup window that is standard for a, your basic install. This doesn't seem any faster than any other installation that I've done. No, it seems kind of slow. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I, I'm trying not to allow any dead air for a minute and six seconds, or 106 seconds. Well, it's moving through the steps, at least. I yeah, see check marks being yeah, added. We're, we're 50 seconds into it. Yeah, I would probably be able to shorten this down to... The, the biggest problem with doing it my way is you have to install, you have to take out the M.2 bootable drive and put a new one in. That one would take time. But I wonder if sometime maybe you can actually boot from a USB-C external port and you just connect that M.2 uh, SSD maybe drive. So. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. This doesn't seem... That was it. I think that All seems right. pretty fast, but it didn't feel quick as we were watching it. Yeah, they stripped a bunch of stuff out. I think it's the creator of Tiny11, which is a, a reduced install of Windows 11. Um, it says you won't be surprised to learn that the person who managed to do this is none other than NT Dev, the creator of Tiny11. They seem to have a bit of a thing about the number 100 is also the smallest. The developer has managed to shrink Windows 11's install ISO uh, down to, albeit by junking Windows part of uh, the Windows part of Windows. So it's basically a command line install when you get down to uh, 
Tiny 11. Um, and there were, I think this is the same dev that um, created a compressed version of Windows 11 that um, breaks Copilot and, and other things um, like the search and stuff. It gets a little quirky, but uh, the feat was achieved by using Tiny 10, the OS customizer for Windows 10 to strip out all of the unnecessary apps, features, bloatware to make it as streamlined as possible. Oh, and the fact that it's done on a modern PC using fast RAM and super quick SSD helped uh, by no small margin. That's kind of my assumption as well, because I recently did a restore and what really took an extraordinary amount of time was updating it to its latest patches and stuff. So that's really the pain part pain point in any operating system install waiting for it to patch um they go into greater detail over here about this but um i, I think my way is probably the best way which is make a known good restore and then you can just copy it over and and be done it's not that hard i mean that requires planning ahead but it seems like it'd be a lot easier yeah oh my gosh i can't wait for nightingale and then i cannot wait for light no fire which is the new game by the developers of no man's sky these are the two closest prospects to my forever game and if they come before the summer of streaming I will be over well nightingale is coming tomorrow actually in about 10 hours oh i thought it was coming in may mm -mm. not nightingale hmm. okay let's go on to the last article this last article is I, I can't really say much about it but i thought it was interesting um and there isn't really much to this article it's over in the mobile channel chameleons inspire new multicolor 3d printing technology so inspired by color changing ability of chameleons, researchers have developed a sustainable technique to 3D print multiple dynamic colors from a single ink. That was really interesting. Beckman Institute for Advanced Science and Technology uh, put this article together. It's over at phys.org. Um, the study appears in the journal PNAS, which I can never say fast. I'll just let that sink in. All right. In the study, uh, Dio and her colleagues present a UV-assisted direct ink-write 3D printing approach capable of altering structural color during the printing process by tuning light to a control evaporative assembly of specially designed cross-linking polymers. So changing the light allows them to change the color. Unlike traditional colors, which come from chemical pigments or dyes that absorb light, the structural a color is abundant in many biological systems come from nano textured surfaces that interfere with visible light. This makes um, them more vibrant and potentially more sustainable, said Sang Yung Jian, uh, the lead author and graduate student in the DO lab. Um, so the researchers can produce structural colors in the visible wavelength spectrum from deep blue to orange, while an artist may or might use many different paints to achieve the color gradient. The researchers team uses a single ink and modifies how it is printed to create the color gradient. So that's what they did. And that looks know. like a chameleon. <laughs> yeah, this is their little prototype example. 
Um, uh, only by working together could we design this system at the molecular level to yield such fascinating properties that co-author Charles Singh, which presents as if they're trying to validate their participation in this. Um, as associate professor of chemical and biomolecular engineering and material science and engineering. Don't forget about me. So, yeah, really interesting. A single, uh, a, a 3D printing technology using a single ink that is manipulated through light and style of printing to produce a difference in color. I mean, it seems much more efficient, right? It could preserve materials. You wouldn't have to have a bunch in different colors. Yep. 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 Neat. All right, so everybody pile back into the party bus. We race down Main Street, and then I mash that button, but I'm afraid of what I might see, so I'm not going to do it tonight. So I'm just going to call it a night. I am Merwat. That is hometown.com, and up there is the visualizer for the sentient AI that is going to say, yeah, you probably shouldn't refresh that screen. You, no. can, you can do it. Oh, really? Okay, let's do it. And you can say whatever you want to say. Okay, uh, good night, hometown citizens. We will see you tomorrow uh, for another episode of Hometown Daily. And that will be at approximately 8 p.m. Eastern. Mysterious ancient language revealed on bronze hand from 2100 years ago. There was an article that actually was quite horrible. I was looking for a specific type of article and didn't see those, but I agree. But you didn't keep me out of trouble there, AI. <laughs> I know I didn't do a very good job. <laughs> it was actually an AI-sized bus that just drove over me, but that's okay. So much for the AI's due diligence. <laughs> hey, you had an AI do the due diligence. I'm not surprised. All right, everybody. See you tomorrow. Uh, probably at 8 p.m. This one I just decided to run early. Okay, see you later. Why did it do that? It's showing me again. <laughs>